very good morning to you all joining us today for our EA debates. Today we are going to be talking about the Mercosur trade agreement and asking the question, will this year, 2023, be the year it has finally going to be ratified? It's been June 2019 since the agreement was finally reached, but we're still seeing negotiations ongoing. And just this week, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz made a fresh appeal for the negotiations to finally come to an end so we can see some writing on the paper. So with me to discuss that today, I am delighted to welcome many of those who are involved in this and also very, very knowledgeable about the topic. First of all, it is my great pleasure to welcome Ambassador Pedro Miguel da Costa e Silva, who, of course, in his role, is head of the Brazilian mission to the European Union. Paolo Garzotti is also joining us from DG Trade within the European Commission, and he's head of unit for the unit dealing with Latin America. Ima Rodriguez Pinheiro is the MEP and coordinator of the S&D group within the Intercommittee, the Trade Committee in the European Parliament, and also chair of the Conference of Chairs of the European Parliament delegations outside the European Union. Gustavo Muller is senior researcher at the Leuven Centre for Global Governance Studies at the University of Leuven here in Belgium and also working under the Horizon 2020 project Engage, which studies those external action sides of the European Union. And last but by no means least, we are delighted from VDMA, Vice President of VDMA, Bertram Karloff is also joining us. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for being here this morning. And of course, to you, our audience joining us from around Europe. I'm going to let you all uh, give me your sort of perspective on why this trade agreement is so important, both from a geopolitical point of view and also from a trade point of view, from, a, from an economic perspective. Ambassador, let me start with you. Give me your perspective. It's been several years, I said at the beginning, June 2019, that these talks have been dragging on. Why is it so important that we do finally reach some sort of agreement? Oh, good morning. Uh, I want to thank Euroactive for the invitation to be here uh, today. I also want to greet my fellow panelists. Well, if the, the EU Mercosur uh, is finalized and if it is approved and if it comes into force, uh, three important ifs, I think that it could uh, be a strong instrument to foster trade and investment, to diversify trade and investment uh, flows to generate new uh, value chains between uh, the European Union and the Mercosur countries. And it's important always to recall that it is an association agreement. It goes far beyond uh, trade and uh, it involves a series of instances of cooperation and dialogue in a vast array of subjects that includes the many faces uh, of uh, sustainable development. So I think that if uh, there is a decision and, and it is possible to conclude this agreement, it could be a, a, an important instrument to foster, uh, to increase and to deepen uh, relations between uh, the two blocks. And, and of course, I want to make a disclaimer, an important one here uh, today that I'm speaking on behalf of Brazil and of course not on behalf of Mercosur. Thank you. Thank you very much. Of course, yes, we, we, we understand you. You don't speak on behalf of the entire continent. But uh, we will turn now uh, to Paolo from the Commission point of view. Uh, there's, there've been barriers to this, but tell me why it is important to overcome concerns. And as, as the ambassador said, this is more than just trade. 
Thanks. Thanks a lot to your team. Thanks uh, and uh, hello to all my fellow panelists. Uh, indeed, I can uh, uh, share entirely what Pedro just said, Ambassador Brazil. Um, this is an important and mutually beneficial agreement. Uh, I would say geopolitically first and then economically. Uh, as Pedro says, it will facilitate investment with, if you consider Mercosur as a bloc, is the fifth biggest economy outside the EU. Uh, is uh, to make some comparison in terms of trade, this uh, agreement would be four times larger than the economic benefits uh, that the free trade area with, with Japan, the agreement with Japan and eight that the one of Canada has generated. So there's great potential. But I would say that the most important thing is that is, is, is geopolitical dimension in today's circumstances to uh, partner and uh, it's important to underline that is an association agreement is an agreement that covers the political pillar the cooperation pillar and the trade pillar is geopolitical dimension the possibility to partner up with mercosur countries to work together towards a green transition and we have uh, the technologies they have uh, uh, the potential to help us on this and so I think it's going to be really a, a partnership on that towards uh, 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 working together towards a green transition that is I think uh, the biggest uh, the biggest advantage uh, uh, for this deal and as you said uh, Vice President Timmermans was there uh, these days and made statements in these directions and uh, so the value is definitely uh, there and I would say, but maybe we can come to this later, that the political conditions as well uh, have uh, have um, have changed and improved recently. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paolo. Indeed, as you say, uh, Vice President Timmermans has been there. I, I mentioned the German Chancellor being there as well. Uh, so the Council and the Commission represented. We're going to turn to the European Parliament. Uh, Inma, you're on the Trade Committee, so you you know you you're uh, uh, coordinating from the S and D side. Tell us what's been going on. Tell us why it is important and why, why, why it's worth paying attention to the details. Okay, well, first, it's a pleasure for me to participate in these interesting conversations with these excellent speakers. And I would like to thank very much Euroactiv for having invited me. Well, I will try to summarize my view and those of the European Parliament. We have to recognize that in today's world, a single country cannot face global crisis by itself with any chance of success. That's why it's necessary to seek political and economic alliance with other like-minded martyrs as Mercosur is. The EU and Mercosur share values and we are important allies in support of multilateralism, harness globalization and defending an international trade order based on rules and values. The signing and ratification of the agreement will send a clear message to the world. Not signing and ratifying it would be very negatively affecting the credibility of both sides of the European Union and will mean the loss of influence in this important geographical area, given the growing importance of China and the United States. Also, it is very important in terms of food security. This FTA is an opportunity because Mercosur countries are in a privileged position in the face of an upward economic cycle linked to food production that is scarce because of the war in Ukraine. 
And referring to the trade and economic importance, it is important to highlight that the EU would be the first trading partner to gain preferential trade access to Mercosur, a currently closed market of 260 million consumers, which is the fifth largest economy in the world, as Paolo Garzotti uh, told before. Uh, obviously, we also work on agreements to defend the economic interest of the Union, but more important than what we trade is under which conditions we produce the goods uh, we trade. For this reason, it's so important the sustainable development chapter that establishes the commitment of the parties to effectively implement the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and fight against deforestation. This is a very, very important point for the European Parliament. Uh, in order for the agreement to be supported, but uh, the Parliament is not enough what is included in the, in the agreement. And that's why it's so important, the Sustainable Development Chapter, to be accompanied by an ambitious and legally binding instrument to combat deforestation. I think we are talking about a very important agreement whose time to be signed is right now when there is a window of opportunity under the Spanish presidency and the triumph of Lula. I see our, our alliance with Mercosur as a great opportunity for Europe. Thanks, Alex. Thank you very much. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the, the upcoming Spanish presidency. We, of course, have the Swedish presidency at the moment, and there have been noises that the council is, is ready to, to make a move. Um, Gustavo, you're an independent researcher. We've, we've heard from the Commission, the Parliament, um, and, and I've mentioned again the Council. Tell us what your sort of outsider perspective is. Thanks, Jennifer, and thanks to, to your activist uh, support for having me. Good morning to my fellow panelists. Let me give them uh, an independent view uh, on why it's important. And obviously, as, as the others said, it's, it's more than a, than a trade deal, right? It's an association agreement that includes multiple aspects in terms of politics, but also in terms of environment, human rights, and, and, and labor uh, conditions as well. But from the EU side, it's clear that it is about trade liberalization, right? It is about market access, but it's also about sustaining a, a rules-based international order. Let, let's remember that back in 2019, when the agreement was, uh, well, agreed upon, uh, we were at the height of uh, Donald Trump's trade wars with uh, the World Health Organization and other international institutions. So that is the geopolitical importance, right? That's marking a presence in, in South America, that's remaining relevant in South America from an EU perspective. But from a, from a Mercosur perspective, the importance is also uh, related to trade in, in the sense that it is about opening the market in a way that makes sense to, to the industries, to the local industries, in a way that makes sense for countries that are middle-income countries to open up and, and develop uh, sustainably. But it's also about the units of the bloc, right, uh, in, on the Mercosur side. Mercosur is a bloc, an economic bloc of four countries, right, uh, which, which is in itself also going through its own struggles. Right. Just uh, just um, last week, Lula traveled to, to Uruguay to convince the, the president of Uruguay not to sign or negotiate a separate trade agreement with, with China, which would, you know, in a sense, break up the block. So it's important that, that this agreement, in a way, moves forward in order so, so that Mercosur opens up. Right. And has uh, keeps it, its, its, its autonomy in relation to the growing competition that we see in Latin America from China, from the European Union from the United States as well. From an EU perspective, politically, it's important to have that, uh, that foothold in the region. The EU has already signed many trade deals with, with countries in South America, in Latin America. And if you look at the map, we're only missing, in that sense, 
Mercosur countries and a couple of others. So, so signing this deal will will it's which is about trade, but it's much more than that. Will definitely um, uh, enforce or enhance the the, the foothold that, that the European Union has in the region. Well, Bertram, let me come to you. I mean, VDMA represents about three thousand five hundred, maybe more, German European uh, mechanical and plant engineering companies. So you're obviously focused a little bit more on the trade side of it. So give me that perspective, please, and why it's so important. Yes, thank you for the introduction. I'm an entrepreneur myself and represent three and a half thousand companies, very like, like my own company. We are small SMEs and we have a high rate of export. The average export quota of our member companies is more than 75%. And the smaller a company is, the more important it is to have FTAs to do international trades because we are not as strong in dealing with all the regulations. So um, export-oriented companies need open markets. And for that, VDMA has always supported the Commission during the negotiation with third countries on FTA. However, I heard so many ifs today. Uh, we do need FTAs that enter into force and that do not hover around and we have to wait until they come into force. So I hope that Mercosur Free Trade Agreement will be, become a good example here as this FTA has been concluded in June 2019 and we still do not know when it will enter into force. We call on the Commission to come up with a proposal here as soon as possible because speed matters. The agreement would give the EU a geostrategic advantage over other countries, including China and the United States. And I feel that there's a race going on to secure, to open international markets, especially in a time where we suffer under decoupling trends. So this agreement will lead to many advantages for my sector, the machinery sector, like elimination of machinery tariffs, modern rules of origin, and better opportunities in the field of public procurement as well. Brazil, for example, has various strategic strengths regarding natural resources, young, well-trained professionals, and the agricultural sector. The European machinery and equipment manufacturing industry can contribute with a technical solution to sustainable infrastructure and to, pro to place production in the Mercosur countries. We could fight together youth unemployment, for example. Mechanical and plant engineering are an enabler industry for climate protection and resource efficiency. Only with green technologies, which we can offer with that innovative strength, targets can be achieved and transformation can be shaped. A study by the EU points to Brazil as the world's largest producer of niobium, 92%. We have bauxite, we have uh, natural graphite, which we need for high-tech industries. In Russia's war in Ukraine showed the extreme importance of diversified supply chains. The Mercosur countries can play an important role here to diversify supply chains for European companies and also to integrate those countries into our supply chains. Finally, I hope that the inauguration of Lula as Brazilian president will give the necessary impetus for commission decision on the signature and conclusion of this FTA. We do hope very much that the EU member states and the European Parliament will approve that. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, uh, Bertram, and, and thank you indeed to all the speakers who set out very clearly in those opening remarks a lot of the topics that we're going to pick upon in the next hour or so. Um, I would remind our audience at home that you can ask questions, simply type them in the box and we'll try and get our panelists to address those. And of course, do share on social media using the hashtag EADebates. One of the things that struck me, uh, Gustavo, you said that the area needs to open up. So let me ask about what is the current status quo. Uh, Pedro, perhaps uh, you can start as, as an expert uh, on Brazil in particular. How closed is the market currently? Is there a need to see more opening up? Of course, uh, the, the idea that Brazil or Mercosur are closed economies are, is uh, a concept that I not necessarily share. Maybe the other speakers uh, have that perception. Sometimes, depending on the metrics and how you, you think about this issue, you will get different uh, uh, views. For example, if you look at tariffs, of course, the applied tariffs that uh, Mercosur has and the EU have, they are different. Brazil are higher, but you then have to take into consideration that we have very few tariff peaks, very few uh, tariff rate quotas and trigger prices and other such mechanisms that basically bar countries from entering the European market. So it's, it's a question of uh, who's the beholder, who, who's looking at, at, at market access. That's one point that I would make. The other point that I would make is that I think that our colleague from, from the, the, the private sector, from the representative from the German industry, uh, he knows very well that not only uh, German firms are present, for example, in Brazil, but uh, firms from all over Europe and they are very happy there with this, the uh, stability of our rules and, and of the, the, how they can do business in Brazil. So uh, I don't think that the, the way of, uh, of looking at this is whether the, the economies are closed or not. I, I much rather prefer the idea that if we move towards uh, this trade agreement and we, we finalize it and it, it comes into force, that it can generate new opportunities, new for, for trade and, and investment, more employment, uh, and, and create uh, better conditions on both sides for sustainable uh, development. That's how I would rather look at, at the issue. Thank you. Well, thank you for taking my question in the spirit intended rather to provoke rather than to say that I know exactly what's happening because I know that you guys are much more expert than I am. And Gustavo, let me come to you. You said the phrase opening up. Tell me, what is the current status quo as you view it? Because, of course, it depends on your perspective, as the ambassador has pointed out. No, thanks. And I fully agree with the ambassador. I think it, the, the country is already open and the countries of Mercosur are already open to, to world trade in, in, many, in many ways. And, and if you look particularly to the agricultural sector, that's the one that, um, that um, um, the EU on its own side is, is the close actor uh, when it comes to establishing quotas and, and protective measures as well. But, but, but coming back to, to, to the need of opening up the economy, it has to be done in a way that makes sense to developing of the countries of the Mercosur bloc, right? Mercosur, bloc, Mercosur negotiates as a bloc, it is a, is it a customs union, uh, but, but at the same time, all those countries are trying to develop, right? Uh, so, so in, in, in Lula now that came, just was just inaugurated a month ago, one of the main uh, economic policies that he's putting forward is actually the reindustrialization of the country. Brazil is one of the few countries in South America which still has a, a, a relevant and, 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 and sizable industry. It has declined over the last few years, but now it's 
come back as being a priority of the government. So, of course, assigning a trade zero that would expose that, uh, that fragile industry to external competition, it, it's a delicate move, right? So that has, been, has to be thought through. There will be certainly a lot, a lot of uh, negotiations that will look at the original agreement back in 2019 to see to what extent it is still adapted to, to the priorities that the, the new governments in Brazil, but also in Argentina and Uruguay have in, in regards to the agreement. So Mercosur, it, it is in comparison to, to other uh, countries and blocs, uh, relatively uh, more closed. Uh, it has few free trade agreements with, with the outside world, but, and, and the, the one with the European Union would definitely be a breakthrough. But again, this opening up has to, do, has to be done in a way that makes sense to, to the local industry as well. Bertram, let me come to you. You made clear in your opening remarks about the, the benefits. Tell us from your, uh, from a, if you like, from, a, from an industry or, or, or an economic perspective, what is the status quo as you see it? Uh, thank you. First of all, I would like to state that although I'm, I have a rather heavy German accent, I speak for European industry here. Uh, as VDMA uh, uh, enjoys a membership of many European companies as well. Uh, yes, they are very important markets, the Mercosur countries, but uh, the term I would like to use is ease of use of trade and investment uh, for smaller companies. As I, told, as I said before, it's more difficult to export to import for smaller companies. And we do have rather severe tariffs on, on our products, like tariffs range for machinery products between 14 to 20 percent. That's, that's not nothing. And we have peak tariffs up to 35 percent. And I think we can do more together, Europe and the Mercosur. Uh, for example, the export of machinery uh, to Brazil uh, is around 2 billion euros. To Argentina, 440 million euros. Uh, Paraguay, it's 33 million and Uruguay, 55 million. Whereas the import to the EU as per today from Brazil, for example, is only 170 million euros. Uh, so we could become stronger and we could strengthen our joint ties. Uh, and especially we could, we could improve uh, the tying of the supply chains uh, for, for investment, predictability, reliability are very important issues. And these could be... Uh, definitely strengthened by an FDA. Thank you. Uh, Paolo, let me come back to you. Um, I know I will probably be pushing you a little bit. It's not necessarily for the Commission to comment on these things. But we, we heard mentioned um, by our, our European Parliament in the representative, there are geopolitical considerations. We have to consider uh, China in the global mix. We consider the, the situation with the US. What do you think would change? I mean, what is the state of play with this trade agreement in terms of the, the, the impact on geopolitical relations? Thank you, Jennifer. First, uh, um, uh, you talk about China and the US. One important element of this agreement will be that uh, the European Union will be the first of the big players to establish a, uh, a, a connection, a, a trade agreement uh, political uh, and uh, development with, uh, with, with Mercosur. So you will have uh, the first mover uh, advantage. That is, um, uh, that, that, that is important and I fully agree with uh, uh, the point that this has to be done in a manner that both on the Brazilian side, uh, the, the Mercosur side, uh, preserve the possibility 
for uh, uh, Mercosur countries to develop their industrial sector, as well as to uh, preserve uh, uh, the uh, European agricultural uh, uh, farmers and model. Uh, in terms uh, of uh, what Ima was saying is more about uh, uh, the uh, sustainable development dimension of the agreement, and we are working on that. There uh, uh, is an important element uh, linked to uh, deforestation, uh, which uh, two years ago, the executive vice president Dombrovskis of the uh, in, in the parliament stated was a problem with Mercosur, uh, with our Mercosur agreement that he wanted to address it. Uh, we are now in a situation where uh, uh, the new policies that uh, President Lula have indicated, uh, the position taken in Sharm el-Sheikh and the Biodiversity Convention, we think that really there's, uh, as uh, the president of the uh, union uh, stated in front of the parliament, an important window of opportunity to move in this field, which was politically the more delicate. Finally, the situation with aggression of Russia to Ukraine, the uh, um, end of our uh, um, access to the Russian market for the foreseeable future, uh, that uh, puts our partnership in terms uh, of uh, what the uh, representative of the European uh, small and medium enterprise indicated in terms of access to key uh, um, inputs for our green transition um, to uh, in a new dimension. And it's a win-win because uh, there's, a, there's, there's, of course, the, 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 the raw materials dimension, but there's as well the potential for these countries to contribute to this transition in a manner that, thanks to their uh, uh, qualities, uh, uh, make them unique. Uh, if you see uh, not just the raw materials, but, but, uh, uh, but production of, of, of green energy, I'm thinking in, uh, in, in, the, in the whole region, in Latin America, green hydrogen, both in Brazil and Chile and Argentina, there's really a, a lot of, of potential for a, for a win-win. When you liberalize trade, even if the, uh, the tariffs are important in certain fields, I would, I would agree with Pedro that you wouldn't, wouldn't label Mercosur as a closed economy at all. But of course, there is potential to do much better. That uh, is, is a chain effect that unleashes further investment, that unleashes uh, quite a lot of a, of, of a chain effect that uh, brings um, better and, uh, and higher integration between two economies, which shares the same values, have the same uh, uh, objective, because uh, there's few places in the world today where you can look for more like-mindedness with uh, European uh, um, values than in Latin America. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you very much. Um, Ima, let me come to you. We're getting uh, quite a few questions in from our audience. Thank you very much, and please keep those coming. I see a couple of questions that are, are very linked, one from Copa Kojeka, who represents the agri-industry, another from ASEA, who is the uh, automakers industry. So both representing European industries and asking much the same question in both cases. Has there been any consideration of splitting the agreement, is what they're asking. Uh, is, there, is there a potential to split the deal as per Mexico and the Chile agreements, so FTA and then political cooperation? Uh, and, and the question actually, um, uh, Ima, to you is, do you believe S&D MEPs would support such a split? But give me, a, give me your thoughts, um, rather than necessarily saying what will happen or would happen in a hypothetical situation. Is splitting the deal a possibility? 
well, uh, a possibility exists. It, it depends upon what uh, is going to be the negotiation and what uh, both sides uh, are going to decide. Uh, we have the case of Chile that it has been expedited in three different agreements. In the case of Chile, there is included an investment uh, pillar that is not the case for Mercosur. It's trade and association and cooperation agreement. Uh, well, the, what is really important and what is the, really the threat uh, I have is that even if it is uh, considered as one uh, agreement, association agreement, or it is split in two different ones, the problem is that the part of cooperation and association uh, agreement has to be ratified by its member states before it enters into force. And it can take a long, long time. As, as uh, Bertrand said, speed matters. And I think that in this trade uh, and association uh, agreement is very, very important, the pillar of political and cooperation, because it's not only a matter of opportunity for trades, that is for sure very, very important, but it's a matter of cooperation. And in this sense, uh, well, we have the example of Central America, where the free uh, the, the trade pillar entered into force at the same time as it was ratified by the European Parliament and from by the side of Central America, but we are still waiting for the entry into force of the pillar of cooperation and association agreement because one member state didn't give the, uh, its consent. Then I think we have to think about it. Uh, this is a, a, a very crucial question referring to all the association agreements. But uh, we will see what is the what both sides decided. The important is that the content and the time. I think uh, I fully uh, agree that it's very important to to be fast on this because, as Paolo uh, told, um, well, the European Union has still the opportunity uh, to be the first partner in the world to sign a general agreement with Mercosur. And I think it's very important also the message we can give to, to sign a, 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 a trade agreement in these particular circumstances. But I think it's very, very important to, to try uh, also adding something that uh, Paolo said referring to your uh, former question about the, uh, the geopolitical importance regarding China. That is that the European Union will have to recognize that has lost market share in Mercosur to China. We have fallen to 24%, while China has reached 25%, and the trend may increase if this agreement is not signed, ratified, and implemented quickly. We can remain inactive. We have spent a long, long time in order to end the negotiations. And I think, as I told before, that we have a unique opportunity uh, now to, to try to finalize this. And referring, if you allow me, Jennifer, something uh, that uh, before um, our expert, independent expert uh, said, referring to Uruguay and the, uh, um, the agreement with China. Uh, I think that uh, it's important to know that uh, Mercosur needs a lot of investment in terms of infrastructures, in terms of reducing the, 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 the freight costs, and we have to be able to finish this association and cooperation agreement with all the opportunities that the trade pillar offers to both sides. 
and we have to do it uh, taking on board the European Parliament because if not, it wouldn't be possible to, to ratify this, but I think we are going to be able to do it. Thank you well, very much. Yes, thank you. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you're saying, but I want to hear as well, Pedro, your perspective on this question of potentially splitting the agreement. Uh, we've just, as, as Emma and indeed uh, Bertram have said, speed is important, timing is of the essence. What are those sort of considerations in terms of splitting it? Would it make things slower? Would it speed things up? What's your perspective? I think you may be on mute, Pedro. Sorry. Uh, I think that this is a, a question more for, for Paolo and for the European side and for, for Mercosur. Uh, we have uh, we, an open mind to, to look at whatever proposals the European uh, side will make to us. So this is not a, a, an issue for us. It's something that the European side has to decide and, and, and put on the table and we will look at it uh, in due time, but we don't have a, a strong views about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, diplomatic answer, Paolo, I'm, I'm going to come to everyone and ask for your, uh, your, your thoughts on this potentiality of splitting the agreement, because it is something that our audience is asking a lot of questions on. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. Million dollars question. And honestly, from what I see, it's a little bit of a faux débat, as they say in French, in the sense that the importance of this deal, first of all, is the substance. And, uh, and, and I think in 2018, we got the substance fundamentally right. We need uh, to discuss uh, clearly uh, a couple of uh, um, issues, notably related to sustainable development. And we have uh, listened as well to what our Microsoft friends uh, will come. But the issue of the splitting or not splitting uh, the first point I want to say, this is going to be a agreement covering political, developmental aspects and trade aspects. So that is, uh, uh, I would say, a single political undertaking is something that uh, goes together. Nobody is thinking about uh, splitting in the sense of having uh, a, a trade agreement without the rest. Secondly, uh the um um the debate under splitting is a little bit biased in the sense that to say that if uh, a trade agreement uh doesn't pass through national parliaments uh is not democratically legitimate is a reasoning fundamentally flawed. The, the european parliament that will validate the trade agreement if we choose the chilean solution which is one single framework agreement with an interim trade agreement we will enter into force uh, for a period of time until uh, the framework agreement has into force with the full uh, package uh, in um, uh, uh, it, 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 and will expire when the when the framework agreement is in force if that happens the european parliament will vote on the agreement the european parliament is perfectly uh, legitimate expression of uh, the European uh, uh, people. So uh, th that that debate is important because we risk with this debate to delegitimize, uh, uh, you know, the very essence of the European Union. Take a, leg a legislation recently that uh, Pedro uh, had uh, some questions about the deforestation regulation, an important regulation by which uh, any uh, certain important goods, uh, meat, cocoa, coffee, soya, that are, will be placed on the market of the European Union 
uh, will uh, uh, will have to be uh, going through a very severe, I would say, due diligence, duly uh, system. This has been voted by the European Parliament. Uh, they're not going to be ratified by individual uh, uh, parliaments. So I think we we need to really devise the discussion about about the split. Uh, our decision has not been taken yet. We have, of course, to discuss with our Mercosur friends, as we have done with Chile, as we are doing with Mexico, and we'll come with a solution that will be in full respect of the fact that this is a one political uh, uh, um, undertaking and uh, take into account uh, the legal uh, and constitutional dimension of, uh, of the union. In any event, uh, whatever's going to be the case in, um, in terms of legal ratification, the cooperation and political uh, pillars, let's say, of the agreement will not possibly enter into force, but we're going to be provisionally applied uh, most likely in almost uh, uh, their, uh, their entirety. So at the end of the day, uh, we will have uh, a, a, a situation where this agreement almost entirely will be, uh, will be applied uh, uh, as soon as uh, uh, we got the signature and the validation uh, by, the, um, by the parliament and the conclusion. Well, Inma, I think you wanted to jump in there to react, so please. Yes, thank you. Yes, it's all, only to say that I fully agree that the European Parliament has the role, has the competence. We are legitimacy by all the citizens who voted in the European elections uh, in order to decide what is going to be the result of a free, uh, trade agreement that has been negotiated. The problem is the competence are divided in terms of uh, cooperation and association uh, agreement. There are a shared competence between the European Union and the member states. And in this case is when we have problems in order to try to uh, implement uh, uh, the, the, the pillar of cooperation and association agreement. And I think that it's very important to try to do this as soon as possible that member states have to be really, really involved in the first of the implementation of this uh, part of the agreement because it is a very, very important issue to cooperate with Mercosur in order to increase the the region as, as a region, uh, um, well said, and in order to be able to make uh, more competitive regions in terms of the investment they need and the European Union has to facilitate, not only by China, because China is not really involved in all the principles and values we defend and we share with Mercosur sides countries. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emma. Uh, Bertram, I want to come to you. I, I feel I should note that we have got a lot of discussion happening from our audience online. In particular, a lot of people referencing areas related to the agri-sector. Indeed, I'm seeing questions about poultry production, animal welfare, environmental protection, uh, and various other issues that are, are, are kind of related to production standards and so on. But let me ask in general, Bertrand, we see that the agricultural sector is a little bit skeptical of this deal. Um, I know you're not speaking for them, but you are speaking for businesses and industry and, and, and SMEs. Give me your perspective. What, what do you think uh, would perhaps 
make everyone happier uh, or, or indeed go some way to alleviating the concerns of that particular sector? I think sometimes fear is overestimated. Uh, I'm, firm, I'm a firm believer that uh, the Mercosur and the EU agricultural sector would also benefit uh, from an FTA here. Um, it is a sensitive uh, area because it is an area where there are a lot of state subsidizes, uh, but trade helps. Uh, trade helps to, to distribute wealth in the end. Uh, so let me give one example. Uh, we, we discussed deforestation. Uh, if we have more trade, uh, if we have distribution of value chains, uh, that means basically things are produced in the Mercosur country more than we have now. That shares profits, uh, that uh, creates employment in other areas. So deforestation might become decreasingly important and we could get rid of that. We have uh, the highest machinery tariffs in that area that hinders green technology uh, to, to be imported into the Mercosur countries, like windmills, like hydrogen technology, that's all mechanical engineering. So distribute green technology, also green technology for agriculture. It's also machinery equipment, uh, like the, the, the agricultural sector is, is the most advanced sector today in many countries uh, for uh, digitalization. So let's not protect our markets with high tariff. Let's open them and it will, it will give benefits also to the agricultural area. And we will also enable us to get rid of deforestation in a much better way. Well, thank you. Uh, Pedro, let me bring you into this. I mean, there is quite an argument going on about whether farm to fork standards, production standards are applicable or should be exported from the EU to set those standards. Um, I, I really will be interested to hear your perspective uh, as ambassador. Thank you very much. Uh, I think, first of all, that, that it's important to, to remind uh, the public who's watching this, this event that the Mercosur countries and the EU, they participate in international fora, international organizations where we have negotiated uh, together stringent uh, regulations for the export of agricultural and industrial goods. So uh, trade is going on right now. Whether we have this agreement or we don't have this agreement, we have important trade flows with the European Union going both ways. And we have been respecting international uh, uh, standards all the time. And in many cases, the European standards. Uh, uh, so I think that th there is a, a very complicated issue here of narrative concerning this agreement. Many people believe that if this agreement comes into force, it will lower standards and that products from Mercosur countries will come into the European market that don't comply with European standards. And I want to state here very clear that it's simply not true. These are completely uh, baseless allegations that I don't know where they come from, but they have no basis on facts, on, on reality. It's a narrative of those that and I respect them that don't like trade agreements and maybe don't like trade, but it's simply not true. Uh, our products meet world uh, class standards and th this agreement, if it comes into force, it will bring uh, even more cooperation and even more dialogue in terms of standard setting and meeting standards and complying with standards.
So uh, it simply makes no sense the idea that the, the, the agreement is something that is going to leave uh, European consumers unprotected and so on and so forth. I want to make this, this point, and now I'm not being uh, diplomatic at all, as you can see, uh, very clearly, because I think that this is one of the things that we need to tackle. Uh, we need to, to uh, end this uh, disinformation and misinformation that really serves no one. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Pedro. I mean, we, we acknowledge all viewpoints and try to tackle them head on here at your active. And I do remind our audience, have your say, take part in the discussion online, use the hashtag EA debates on various social media channels to have this discussion because we are trying to tackle the truth. And some of the uh, best protected consumers in the world are European Union consumers. So we, we know that is to be the case. Gustavo, let me come to you. We've covered a lot of ground since I, since I last came to you. Give me your perspective on, on these various competing ideas. Uh, what's your take on, on, on where we're going and are we going in the right direction? Right. Thanks, thanks, Jennifer. Look, uh, so the EU Mercosur negotiations were, were, were the negotiations that were always ongoing and never, and never agreed upon, right? So now we have an agreement in principle and it seems like ratification is, 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 is far ahead, right? Uh, and, and so when that happens, uh, actors on both sides, they're faced with a few options, right? They either change the text, which seems to not be a, a, a major option these days, or they wait for a change of context, right? Some sort of break, breakthrough that will create some sort of a new momentum, or they try to create a new momentum themselves. And in that sense, splitting the agreement might be one of those alternatives, right? You want to, after three and a half years of that agreement in principle, you want to move things forward. So, well, let's split the trade, uh, the, the agreement. Let's, let's first decide on the political and then on the trade side and so on and so forth. But the thing is, these are all interconnected, right? We call them pillars, but but um, it's more like a noodle soup in a sense, right? It, it all comes together. And, and to use some sort of a phrase that we use a lot in the Brexit debate, uh, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, right? So uh, it might create a new momentum indeed to try to split it, uh, bring it to, to different stages in the European Parliament, try to avoid the ratification by, by national parliaments as well. But at the same time, for, especially from a Mercosur perspective, all of those different pillars, they're all interconnected, right? So, and, and on the question of, of agriculture um, and, and standards, as the, as the ambassador said, um, um, there is uh, this misinformation that, uh, that an agreement with Brazil and with Argentina and the rest of Mercosur would end up um, um, damaging uh, um, consumer rights on the European side, but, but that, that will never happen, actually. And again, we saw that during the Brexit debate, how the European Union acts to, to protect consumers, to protect the standards of its common market. So if anything, an agreement with, uh, with Mercosur, as it happens with any free trade agreement and association agreement, would actually raise standards, right? This is what we're calling in, on the academic side, uh, the Brussels effect, right? The fact that what is negotiated with Brussels, with the European institutions, via trade agreements, via other other types of association agreements tends to, to, to spread and diffuse the very standards that the European Union has. And that's valid for the industrial sector, right? Uh, where we can see all types of standards of how products are actually manufactured and labeled and transported. But that's also valid for, for the agriculture produce, right? So, so um, nothing's gonna come in into the other side's market without actually respecting the standards that have been agreed upon and uh, maybe in the near future will be implemented. Thank you. Uh, Paolo, I need to come back to you. I've got a, a series of questions uh, coming from, from various people, from Robert Francis at Borderlex, from Pauline Bastidon at Spirits Europe, from Catherine Stack, 
all asking about the additional instruments, specifically uh, what will it look like, what will it be in terms of timing, content, format, and will it perhaps necessitate the reopening of current agreements? What's your perspective on this? What can you tell us uh, without uh, revealing anything that you're not allowed to say from the Commission side? Thank you, Jennifer. Indeed, we are exactly in the process of, of, of working on that. So it does not much I can tell you in the details. What I can tell you is that we think that uh, uh, there is uh, what we have in the original agreement uh, of 2018 is there, uh, is, a, is a good deal. What we think is that possibly uh, we have to sit down uh, with the Mercosur friends and uh, clarify what uh, that what we have agreed is indeed uh, what we both meant and the additional instrument will be something uh, that will go more granular more in detail uh, in some of the elements related to sustainable development sustainable development uh, uh, across the broad uh, this is something that the vice pre executive vice president has promised uh, uh, already several months ago in front of the european parliament and we're going to do this uh, uh, very, uh, very, very shortly. Um, the context has changed as well. As I said, we have uh, uh, a regulation on uh, deforestation uh, that will enter into force uh, in a few months and will be applied uh, by the end of 2024. We got a due diligence uh, um, uh, legislation that will come into place. So the preoccupation or the legitimate preoccupation of the European public of not contributing to problems like uh, uh, um, the deforestation or other uh, uh, sustainable development uh, related uh, problems via trade are much better addressed by means of this, uh, um, uh, let's say, EU legislation than by conditioning um, uh, market access. If I say uh, something on, um, uh, on, uh, on, on the point uh, on agriculture, uh, I think I agree totally with, with, with Pedro that the protection of the European consumer is, is not negotiable, that it, the standards will remain the same uh, and, uh, and our partners know what this means when they have to deal with uh, inspection and uh, of our DigiSanta experts on this, we are very thorough with a deal or without uh, a deal. Uh, the preoccupation of some of our agricultural and farmers is the economic impact that this may have uh, on them. And this is something that the European Union has always looked very much uh, uh, in detail and, 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 and with a lot of attention. Uh, we are of the opinion that the impact will be manageable and, uh, and, and, and constructive. Uh, we have created uh, quotas for sensitive products that allow, I just make you an example, uh, the, the quota that the whole Mercosur has for beef, a very sensitive quota, is equivalent to what the Mercosur exports to China in 10 to 12 days. Um, so we are careful. And even if this creates a problem, we have means both in terms of safeguards and of budget interventions in the Union, as we have demonstrated with crisis uh, in the past, to address those issues. So uh, what I want to tell to the to agricultural community is nobody, uh, uh, nobody, let's say, underestimates your preoccupation. 
they are there. We think that what we have done in 2018 takes that fully into account while uh, granting uh, uh, a legitimate due market access to our uh, Mercosur partners. So uh, we shouldn't be confusing the debate on preserving uh, the economic viability of our agricultural sector, which is very important, um, with anything else. Uh, we are looking into that. We are doing the deforestation issues with the additional instruments and with the deforestation regulation. And in terms of preservation of the EU consumer, that has nothing to do with market access. You produce in the Union, you produce in Brazil, you produce in the United States. When you sell in the European market, you have always to respect uh, the uh, uh, legislation and the high uh, world-class protection that, that we have in the Union. Besides, for those countries to show that they can be able to sell in such a, a uh, sophisticated, if you allow me with the due modesty, market as the European Union is a label. Uh, so if you if you show that you can sell your products in a market that is so demanding in terms of uh, consumer protection as the Union, is very important for them in terms of quality of the products and, and, and price. And I'm entirely sure that the Mercosur products will match that as they are matching it now. Thank you very much, Paolo. Um, Gustavo, just to get your perspective, as, as I say, as a sort of a, an independent researcher giving us a slightly different view, um, what are your thoughts on an additional instrument? Well, um, let me go back first to, to, to the agricultural part, right, which has indeed been um, sort of the, the, the stumbling stone for, for, for quite a while in, in this deal. Um, but, but the trade is already happening, right? Uh, the, the trade uh, on agricultural products, uh, on meat products and, and dairy, from, from Brazil, from Argentina to, to Europe, that, that's already ongoing, right? Um, we, if you want, we can, we can go in any shop here in Europe and we're going to find Argentinian meat, we're going to find products from Brazil, etc. cetera. Um, so trade is already going on. Uh, and, and, um, and, and the agreement that has been signed, um, it's, it contains a free trade agreement with a few exceptions on the industrial side. On the, on the agricultural side, um, it's, not, it's not really a free trade agreement, is it? It's more like a quota system. Right, and and a lot of that quota is already actually being uh, traded uh, currently. Right? So at the end of the day, um, on the agricultural side, there is a lot of um, of uh, needs on both on both sides, both in the Mercosur and on the European Union public, for different reasons. On, on the European side, it is about uh, competition, right? Because it's the first time that the European Union will be signing a free trade agreement with agricultural powerhouses that are Brazil and Argentina, right? Uh, we, can, we can talk about the environmental consequences of that. We can talk about uh, the climate change consequences, labor conditions, animal welfare. But the fact is that those two countries, they, 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 and, and Uruguay as well in that mix, they, they, they are very efficient when it comes to the agricultural sector, right? And that will be a first uh, for the European Union to, to be signing a trade deal that will, in a way, even if it's about quotas, open up the market a little bit. On the Mercosur side, it is about the size of those quotas, right? So, so when, when we decide to do a free trade agreement on the industrial side, right, and, and it looks like a free trade agreement with a few exceptions, um, the, the, the agricultural side in Brazil and Mercosur, uh, in Brazil and Argentina, are also not very happy with the outcome, exactly because we, we still there's still uh, uh, within that 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 quota system. So it's it's a bit of a a political uh, bargain in that sense is not only about economics, of course, 
But the, the various aspects that we see popping up in terms of environment, in terms of labor conditions, in terms of animal welfare, they're very relevant and, and we should indeed be discussing them. Uh, the other means to achieve it, it's not only about the, the, the association agreement, uh, as, as it was mentioned by, by Pedro and others, there are other instruments that can be used to protect, including, by the way, bilateral relations, right? Brazil and Argentina, Uruguay and Paraguay, they have bilateral relations uh, with European Union countries. They're also part of multi-level uh, uh, agreements on various of those aspects. So, so protection of those standards can be done also by bilateral multilateral means. They don't have to necessarily uh, be a sine qua non condition for the agreement to take place. Um, but they are as well, in a way, once, once, they, once they are solved, so to speak, when they are solved, the environmental, the, the labor conditions, the human rights, and all those conditionalities, once we are beyond that, we're still going to be left with the geoeconomics aspect of it. Right? There are still underpinnings of the agreement that have to be uh, rethought um, so that it can move forward. Oh, well, thank you. No one underestimates the, uh, underestimates the complexity. Inma, I think you wanted to jump in with something to add. Yes, thank you. Yes, I would like to add something referring to both, to the, uh, the deforestation instruments and to the agricultural uh, side. No? From the uh, deforestation instrument, the only thing I would like to add is that it's very important to be binding and to be set at the same level as the uh, uh, free trade agreement and the association and cooperation agreement. It's, uh, it has to be uh, seated at the same level as the agreement because it's very, very important for the European Parliament that to be in this sense. And on, on referring to the agricultural uh, sector, well, I can understand the concerns of uh, producers of some sectors, but I would like to add that in this uh, agreement is included the bilateral safeguard clauses that allow an application temporary of uh, tariffs uh, up to four years to protect an, 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 a specific sector when there is a, a risk of an increased uh, in, increment of imports uh, that could, uh, allow, could give uh, big uh, consequences for a sector. I think this is very, very, very important and we have to follow very well uh, this uh, part of the agreement because we have uh, already uh, known some uh, consequences that it was not foreseen in the agreement sign. I am speaking about South Africa, for, for instance, and the consequences for citrix products. Uh, and it, it is really very, very complicated to, to ensure a level playing field. And I think it's very, very important for agricultural products uh, to be sure that we are going to face to the same uh, rules and we are going to achieve a level playing field in, in all the products. But I would like also uh, to highlight something that I think it has not uh, said before. And from my side, I think it's very, very important for our, our European agricultural sector. I am uh, referring to geographical indications. And I think that it's very important that from the Mercosur side, there has been recognized some 350 European geographical indications for wines, spirits, beers, and food products. And I want to recognize this from the Mercosur side because I think it is very, very important for a European side. And I think it's uh, important to know. 
And the other thing, uh, and I finish with with this, uh, I fully agree with what the um, ambassador uh, said before, that we have to transmit the real information and not to allow that because of a bad information, it, it is uh, established an idea that is not supported by the real data. I think we really need to know and to transmit the reality of the things as they are. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Emma. I, I think you've, you've got to the heart of quite a lot of the issues there. Um, we have about 15 minutes left now, so I want to maybe give each of you a chance to, to take a step back because um, we have a lot of questions coming in and I know, unfortunately, we won't have time in this debate to answer all of them. But people are asking, what about the externalities? Um, how significant are the Argentine elections? What can we say with the, the new Brazilian president? What, what do we expect? What changes do we see there? We also ask questions about whether there are a, a sort of if you like splitting bilateral agreements, what should we worry about those developments? You know, for example, Uruguay entering into formal negotiations on an FTA with China. There's a lot of other moving parts. So I want to give everyone a chance to zoom out and tell me, you know, even within the EU, are there particular member states that are more skeptical than others? What are the real chances of ratification? Um, let me, uh, Pedro, let me come to you first on this. Thank you very much. If you don't mind, I'll very quickly uh, take on a few of the issues that were mentioned. Uh, the, the issue of the side letter. Again, uh, the Mercosur side, I think, is totally open to, to look at what the European Union will present and discuss a document that can be uh, uh, balanced, reasonable, pragmatic, uh, realistic, and that uh, takes into consideration that we already have, if not the most ambitious, one of the most ambitious sustainable development uh, chapters in a trade agreement and an association agreement that the, the EU has negotiated uh, uh, with, with any other partner. Uh, a short comment on, on, on changing circumstances, because several of the speakers, especially Paolo, has uh, have spoken about the, the so-called autonomous uh, legislations uh, by the EU. These are, these are legislations that, as Paolo rightly mentioned, uh, referring to me, we, we are concerned about. We are concerned about their effects. They were decided unilaterally by the EU. And we're concerned about what effects this, this legislation uh, uh, will have uh, on, on our exports and, and, and on doing business with the EU. But uh, we hope that uh, through the implementation process of this legislation and dialogue and cooperation with our countries that we can avoid any trade disrupting uh, effects. Uh, on, on your specific uh, uh, question, the, the, the comment that I would make is that, uh, of course, we have a new government in Brazil and uh, the new government needs to look at the agreement in detail, examine it. It's a complex agreement. Uh, but as you have mentioned at the beginning of our event, uh, the Brazilian president has made uh, uh, some very uh, clear remarks about our interest in this agreement. But now we need to sit down and, and follow through and, and, and see how we're going to, to progress in, with the, the, the pending issues. And, of course, there are some issues that are still need uh, some fine-tuning and that we need to work on. And I think that if we, if we look at this in a pragmatic way, it is it's doable. I think both sides are looking for a, an agreement that will uh, benefit uh, uh, their populations. 
and that will be seen as something that will will be uh, will help our uh, our relations. And here I will leave a final comment. Since we were talking about bilateral relations, I think that we need to work on two tracks. We have the Mercosur track, but then we have the track of the EU relations with each one of our countries. And in the case of Brazil, we have a strategic partnership that gives us a structure for working on a series of different issues from the environment to energy to critical minerals to human rights to whatever you want. And I think it's high time for us to reboot uh, this partnership and at the same time work on Mercosur. But we need to, to do both things because I think that that will be uh, mutually beneficial. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pedro. Paolo, um, there's a lot of, as I said, and as Pedro has highlighted, a lot of moving parts here. Zoom out and give me your impressions of what is likely to happen next. Give me a sense of timing. Uh, the sense of timing is, is, is urgent uh, in the sense that, uh, indeed, uh, we have closed uh, uh, politically in 2018. The state can allow a lot of time to get here for a number of reasons. And uh, uh, I just quote my uh, president who said in front of the parliament that we got a unique window of opportunity, which means uh, um, that uh, 2023, quoting your, uh, the title of your, uh, of your, um, um, of, this, of this seminar, uh, it should be definitely the, the year to move, to move ahead. Uh, we got a Latin American summit uh, just decided on the 17th and 18th of July. Uh, and, uh, and so the timing is definitely uh, to, uh, to move ahead and, and, and see if that we can find a solution. Um, on, uh, uh, on the point uh, of zooming out is this deal will be extremely important as well for Mercosur as a customs union, as a, as a as a as a market as an integration project uh, something that is 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 important uh, in it will uh, it will be a tool to address uh, pedro said that some of your regulations um he calls it unilateral measures and maybe with a uh, with others other qualifications uh, we call it brussels effect but it's true that these measures can be effective if we implement them in cooperation and partnership with our uh, with the other countries so that they don't become a conflictual ground but they become uh, a way uh, to uh, to move together in the right direction and and, and trade and this and this political cooperation agreement can only can only help that if i want to close that is we consider that across the board we are much better with an agreement in place than without an agreement in place uh, whatever are the problems and the issues that uh, uh, that, we, that, you, that we are trying to uh, uh, to to address and the fact that we do it now with uh, uh, a like-minded uh, um, group of countries uh, is, is even more important you refer to the, the European Union, uh, different member states. There are few issues on earth on which our member states uh, do not disagree to a certain extent. That is the beauty of the Union. We are united in diversity. Uh, I, uh, I believe uh, that on this, uh, the rationale uh, and um, presentations that we're going to make and the analysis and explanations 
uh, will lead to, to, to a, a, an understanding of the benefits of this deal. Uh, but we, as you know, we will, uh, we will discuss all of this uh, in, the, in, the, in the institutional fora, uh, be it the Council, in the European Parliament, because we can only progress on this uh, in a transparent uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and open way, which is uh, definitely what we're going to be doing uh, um, from now. Thank you, Paola. Um, Paolo, let me, uh, in Mad, go to you. Uh, Paolo mentioned there united in diversity. I mean, this free trade agreement does aim to espouse a lot of those European values we hold. So tell me, you know, what are the real chances of ratification this year as, as per the title of our debate today? Well, the first thing I have to highlight that uh, if it is going to be a whole uh, uh, association and cooperation agreement with the trade pillar, the ratification has to be supported by all member states. Then what we can do in during this uh, year is, uh, well, first that the agreement comes to the parliament. And in this sense, I think the, the Commission have to work very hard with the, uh, our partners of Mercosur in order to be able to, to bring uh, to the Parliament the, the agreement as soon as possible. And it means that it has to be uh, um, translated to all the official languages and to pass the legal review. Once the, the, the agreement comes to the parliament, we will have time enough to study, to scrutinize the, it, and to, to be able to, to, to be voted uh, in, the, in the parliament. And uh, the, the pillar, uh, the trade pillar would be uh, ratified at this moment, but not, as I said before, the association and cooperation agreement. I think that is really very important to to take advantage of this opportunity, this window of opportunity. I think it's very important to take advantage of the Spanish presidency uh, that is going to support uh, all of uh, our best with uh, our uh, member states and with the uh, uh, Mercosur side in order to be able to finalize the, the, the agreement, the political uh, agreement, and all the uh, elements that has to, to be uh, besides the, the agreement. No? Um, I think that in this sense, the most important thing we have to say is to show the rest of the world that there is a way of dialogue, of consensus, of negotiation, in order to be able to uh, achieve the best results for both sides in order to give opportunities to our enterprises to increase uh, uh, its productivity and increase employment, to increase the opportunities for consumers to, to have a, a white product to a lower prices. And what is even more important to show that we can share the reforms and the way we have to challenge the all the um, we have to face all the challenges we have, no. And in this sense, it's very important to uh, strengthen our uh, support of multilateralism in a in our world where protectionism is increasing and increasing. We need to show that there is another way to resolve the problems we face, and this is. Uh, this is coming for negotiating, dialoguing, and always 
is trying to, to be the, the best for our allies, not only by ourselves, but to the, the final solution. And, and I think in this sense, Mercosur is very important because it's a very important uh, way of integration. Our integration region in Latin America is so important for the rest of Latin America and so important for the rest of the world and for sure for Europe. And I think that uh, it's very important to know that now, that in recent weeks we have known that uh, uh, Mercosur is uh, starting to formalize the idea of having uh, a single currency uh, who in the world can best advise Mercosur in the process than the European Union. And in this sense, we are here in order to, to support and to be able to achieve the best result. Thank you. Uh, Gustavo, a final word from you, please. A few words. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, so everyone in the panel was talking about window of opportunity, right? And there was clearly one in, in, in 2019 when the agreement was, was agreed in principle. The question is, is the window wide enough now in, in 2023 so it can pass, right? And, and I think there are contradicting trends here that uh, do not allow us to, to give a, a certain answer to it. Uh, for example, the, the inauguration of Lula brings in two different aspects of the agreement, right? Um, the administration will certainly protect the environment more. It will address the, the, the issues of climate change. It will improve labor conditions. It will work towards enhancing the protection of human rights. So all these issues that have been high profile in the agreement, in a way, they will improve. But on the other hand, the, the administration is focusing on reindustrialization of the country. Uh, and which is also an emphasis uh, in, 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 in the whole block. So, so there are contradicting trends that do not allow us really to give a, a full answer. And then on top of it, there's of course the, the prioritization of the regional integration in South America itself. As Inna in said, it's very important regional integration in the region, right? Sometimes we hear ideas such as a, as a common currency and others, and, and, and surprisingly, um, the agreement has come to the forefront of Brazilian foreign policy exactly to save uh, Mercosur as a bloc in face of the Uruguay negotiation with China. Right? So uh, it, it's very complex. Uh, there's a lot of contradicting trends. Um, if I had to say yes or no on the question of, of, this, uh, of this event today, I'd say probably not, unless we really see an external shock or a creation of a new momentum that will allow us to really move quickly. Uh, but otherwise, I think that the agreement will be dragging for, for a few more years. Thanks. Thank you, Gustavo. Bertram, uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword to speak last, um, but I will give the final word to you uh, to, to sort of do your best to, to encapsulate what you've heard today and give us uh, your final thoughts. Thank you. You see me worried. You see me worried. And the spectre in the room is CETA, which was uh, concluded in 2014 and is not yet been ratified. Uh, no agreement Having no agreement does mean we don't have influence and no tree in the rainforest will be saved by not having an agreement. The agreement will give us the influence to work on that. Uh, let's not wait for China to step in. As we see in the case of Uruguay, we should not expect from Chinese free trade agreements that the rainforest will be protected. There are other interests here. So please be fast step in. We had a vast majority of the European uh, industries suffering severe broken supply chain issues over the last year. And here we have a big chance to diversify our supply chain risk. So we should, we should grab that chance very fast. If it's necessary to split the agreement, let's split it. 
let's give our industry and the Mercosur industry that chance. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bertrand, and thank you indeed to all our panellists. It's been an interesting conversation, I think a timely one, and indeed, judging by the interaction of the audience, something that has a lot of people spending a lot of time thinking about this. So thank you very much for giving us your time and your thoughts today. Remember, you can keep sharing your thoughts using the hashtag EADebate, and do stay with your active for more discussions on this and the main stories driving the news in Europe in the coming weeks and months.